Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Am I to understand that you want me to debunk the X-Files project, sir? Agent Scully, we trust you'll make the proper scientific analysis. How'd you come to work for the FBI? Well, sir, I was recruited out of medical school. My parents still think it was an act of rebellion, but uh, I saw the FBI as a place where I could distinguish myself. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And this is the Nerdette Podcast. This week, Gillian Anderson, best known for her role as Scully on The X-Files, stops by to talk about fish and the ocean and a few other nerdy things. <laughs> and we'll hear from Megan Murphy-Gill. She made us a Nerdette soda. So we both had pretty exciting weekends. Yes, I actually stayed up past 8 o'clock both on Friday and on Saturday. It was wild. (laughs) On Friday night, I went to see Trombone Shorty, who is a really wonderful funk musician. He makes the trombone look super cool. And then I went home and watched Treme. It was really lovely. I highly recommend Treme if anybody hasn't seen it. I had been kind of saving it, I guess, for a while. But I'm really glad I started watching it because it's delightful. Delightful? Really? I mean, it's delightfully done storytelling. I'm sorry. I guess delightful isn't quite the right word. (laughs) Tell us about your weekend, Trisha. It sounds especially nerdy. We got a note a while back from the producers of a show here in Chicago called McSith. And they said, hey, we've taken Macbeth, the original Shakespearean text, slimmed it down to a nice 70 minutes and added lightsabers. Would you like to come watch it? (laughs) And there's really only one possible response to that. Absolutely. And I have to say, it was a blast. It's kind of my favorite way to see theater is in these small little black boxes with just all the heart and none of the budget. We're talking Macbeth, so like what? Ghosts, cauldrons, witches, were all of those still in play? Oh, yes. But with lightsabers. (laughs) I can't stress this enough. Oh, man, that sounds really good. My name's Orion Cooling. I was on stage with a whole bunch of really talented actors doing Shakespearean text in the Star Wars universe, you're not going to see Obi-Wan Kenobi on stage. You're going to see Banquo. And there might be archetypes that are similar to the Star Wars archetypes, but those are true for no matter what show you watch. I mean, Star Wars is built upon archetypes. For example, I have my friend Michaela Cruz. who's here with us right now as well. She's one of the witches in the show. And we have a lot of fun with the witches. They play a far bigger part in our production than they do in most traditional uh, Scottish plays, as it were. The evil does. The evil's consistently in like every scene. It's there. It never leaves. The- The dark side is always going to be a part of that show. And I think we just kind of amped it up Mm -hmm. um, as we have amped up everything in the show. It's so much fun. And you kept the text there, but I did hear a couple of references to a womp rat, this or that. Things that are sort of winks and nods to fans of the Star Wars universe. Yeah, the goal was just to touch it. Just to touch it, not to lean on it. It should not be a crutch. It should just be fun when you hear it. Like, ah. There's a few moments that were like, we're 
way in depth into that geek mode. The witches that Michaela and um, her team play are, are definitely based on Deathmere. They're based upon these rancor riding witches, and that's what their makeup is slightly based on. We also changed a lot of the female interp for the show. Lady Monduff, Macduff, for those of you who didn't see our show, we made her a very strong warrior, and that was something very fun to play with. It's so much fun. This is a Venn diagram overlap of like two of the things I nerd out about most. So I come from working in the theater, and then I'm also a huge geek for Star Wars. Do you find that your audiences are sort of one or the other, and so they're picking up on maybe half of the story, or are there more Star Wars Shakespeare nerds in Chicago that I knew about? The thing about nerds and geeks is that we have that one thing that we're really big on, but we know about everybody else. We know a little bit about your stuff, and the thing that I love about the show is I'm very much into Shakespeare, and I'm very much into sci-fi. Any excuse to get people to watch more Star Wars and more Shakespeare, right? Thing, right? Yeah. I had a dad in the audience today, one of my little ones who gets killed in the temple scene. He came up to me, he's like, oh, Ryan, this is really great. I saw it when you first did it with our kids about six years ago. And that kid who was on stage, when I met that young man, he was, I think, five. And now he's grown up with me learning about Shakespeare because... I keep dropping it into Star Wars. Now he's read more Shakespeare than most adults have, and he's now 11. Once you get somebody hooked on something nerdy, you can spin into another nerddom and have a good time with it. If you want to go see McSith in Chicago, all the details are at nerdappodcast.com. If you're not in the Chicago area, you may be able to, if the Indiegogo campaign is successful, buy a copy of this as basically a radio play. They're going to do a professionally recorded radio drama style version of their show with all the original sound effects that they had produced for them, plus the actors doing the Shakespearean text. So keep an eye on nerdatpodcast.com for the Mexith audio experience. And while you're there, don't forget to check out our store. We've got lots of pretty sweet swag, as I like to say, nerdatpodcast.com slash shop. Jillian Anderson is perhaps best known for her long-running role on The X-Files as Agent Scully. She pretty much always plays awesome female characters. And lately she's been making headlines because she got a little up close and personal with an eel. As part of the Fish Love campaign, Jillian Anderson posed nude with an eel wrapped around her neck as a way to bring attention to the practice of deep sea trawling. It's a cause that she's passionate about and stems from her love of the ocean, one that she's had since she was a child. Early on, you were interested in marine biology, and that is, I guess, in part maybe what drew you to the Fish Love Project? That is so weird that you say that because I completely forgot that. And of course, yeah, I did not make the connection. I'm such a dork. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you're probably right. That probably is why I've gotten so impassioned about it. This group called Fish Love, which is actually run by a man who owns a fish restaurant, they started to realize that nobody in the media was picking up on the story that there is an impending collapse of fish stocks in our sea. And they were trying to figure out a way that they could bring enough attention to the cause and to get some movement with politicians. And there's a vote that's coming up in the European Parliament on December 10th. And, you know, the UK has a real opportunity here to show leadership and to push for these essential measures in the EU Council of Ministers so that there can be some changes. And what's happening right now is that there are these trawlers that are scraping the bottoms of the oceans up in the north of the EU waters. 
and basically pulling up everything that is down there for a very, very small percentage of what they keep. And a lot of what they throw back is called bycatch, and it's often thrown back dead or on the way to being dead. And what's being destroyed are deep-sea ecosystems that we haven't even begun to explore. And it's really important that we start talking about this, that just because it's out of sight doesn't mean that it has to be out of mind. And there are fishes that we no longer see on our plates anymore because they have been fished out of existence. And there is a way to sustainably do it. We are being told by experts that there is a way that we can, if we start regulating the fisheries and how they go about doing things, that we will be able to fish sustainably forevermore. And if we don't get these practices right, that we could actually destroy things so that we won't even have a choice. And I also understand that sustainably fished fish is cheaper than fish that is not sustainably fished. So it sounds like something that is a kind of a no-brainer and is just destroying way more than any percentage of benefit whatsoever, and that something needs to be done now. There's a possibility of change in a really big way that could then hopefully potentially have a domino effect and start this conversation rolling. But what can an average person do, especially in the U.S.? Is this a choice that they need to be making more consciously at the restaurant, at the grocery store? Good question. There is this Fish Love campaign. They can go to fishlove.co.uk, and there's a campaign going on right now. We're looking for people to sign the petition. But there's a lot of information about what's happening with the fisheries and what's not happening with the fisheries on the Fish Love site. And I guess also just become educated about it as much as possible about what's really happening in the deep oceans, what's happening in EU waters. And it's also something that's happening around the world. I mean, there are other countries that actually have much more archaic ways of fishing than we're even talking about here and destroying much larger areas of our oceans. 98% of the ocean species live in or just above the floor of the sea. And these are things that are being scooped up by this fishing practice that aren't ending up on anyone's plates. So no. they're just completely going to waste. Exactly. Being tossed back and destroyed. And there are some cold water corals that are between 5,000 and 8,500 years old or more. You know, scientists believe that we could be learning from the ecosystems down there. And we're not. We, we, we haven't even begun to explore them. So we're destroying areas that we know nothing about. We don't even know what we're missing yeah, if we get rid of them. Exactly. Sounds like this passion for the ocean started when you were pretty young. You were interested in some of these things, maybe marine biology. What else as a kid did you sort of nerd out about? Who I don't know. I was a loner. I'm still a loner. <laughs> You know, I was very interested in marine biology. I think there were various times where I said, Mom, I want to be an archaeologist. Mom, I want to be a geologist. Mom, I, you know, and uh, we'd go to a museum and look at geodes and, and then I'd change my mind and be interested <laughs> in something else. Or we'd buy one of those kits that you take home where you dig caked sand and you find a pretend dinosaur underneath. Uh, that all went out the window the minute I discovered acting. But I love nature programs. I love lots of things to do with nature. But I don't actively search out these days other than nature programs, somebody else doing it. I don't go on trips and visit archaeological sites, et cetera, et cetera, which I would think that I would do more based on 
my uh, passion as a kid. Your mom worked with computers, right, in a pretty technical field, which would have been unique for her at that time. Probably she was one of the only women in her workplace doing that kind of work. Yes, and she was using cobalt back then. So when we were in the UK, when I was little, uh, she was working for Lloyds Bank and working for Westinghouse here and programming. When uh, Y2K happened, she got quite a lot of phone calls from people wanting her to get involved to help reprogram things. And yeah, so very technical. We had early on in our show, we had an episode where we talked to folks about the different summer camps they went to as nerdy summer camps. And one girl called us, she's a grown woman now working in a completely different field, but she was so enamored with the X-Files that she wanted to be your character. And her parents couldn't figure out how to channel that into something productive. So they sent her to forensic pathology camp. X-Files was really hitting its peak. And I knew that what I wanted to do with my life was not study dolphins or marine life, but to be Dana Scully. I cut a lot of my hair off and I started buying tight black pantsuits and using the internet to make fake FBI badges. <laughs> my parents, they saw this devotion and thought, how can we turn this into something real and useful? Let's send her to forensic pathology camp at the University of Virginia. What a great idea. And so she learned all of the, the medical science and all of the science. And so you were inspiring young women to go into the sciences. Was that something that you felt? Did you get letters like that from folks who got sparked to be in the sciences because of these characters you've played? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm still reeling off the fact that there was a forensic pathology camp. <laughs> I want that camp. No, I think I went to a bike camp once. Uh, <laughs> that's the extent of it. But yeah, somebody informed me at one point that there was something in the science world called the Scully phenomenon. And it was that because of Scully, who was a medical doctor and a forensic pathologist, that more young women were entering the fields of science and medicine than had before. And the reasons that they were giving in their forums were Scully. Which is great. And I still have – I did a year of doing Comic-Cons this year because it's the 20th anniversary of right. the series. And there were numerous women who came up to me and said, you know, I have just graduated with my MA, my PhD in science. And I initially went in all those many years ago because of Scully. Yeah, so it's pretty awesome. Most of them probably dealing with tamer situations day to day, we hope, than yes, Scully did. I, I would imagine. <laughs> Is that something you think about when you choose a role, what sort of impact it might have as a role model or as an inspiration for folks who are watching and seeing a field get portrayed that doesn't often? Not necessarily. I mean, it's not usually the way that things come to me, that the work comes to me. I was aware of the fact, something I did recently, this series called The Fall. There's a character, Stella Gibson, and I, I had a feeling that she would be good for women. There's something about her. And then people started making bumper stickers that said, what would Stella do? And mugs and fridge magnets and stuff like that. So in that respect, I feel grateful and proud to be able to be a part of and embody a character that has an impact in women's lives. And uh, that's certainly also what Scully seemed to do as well, just encourage women to be the best that they can be, to make right decisions for themselves. And I am a big supporter of that anyway in my life and in things that I get involved in. So it's nice to be able to portray characters that uh, seem to do the same thing.
Agent Mulder. I'm Dana Scully. I've been assigned to work with you. Oh, isn't it nice to be suddenly so highly regarded? So who did you take off to get stuck with this detail, Scully? Actually, I'm looking forward to working with you. I've heard a lot about you. Oh, really? I was under the impression that you were sent to spy on me. If you have any doubt about my qualifications or credentials... You're a medical doctor. You teach at the academy. You did your undergraduate degree in physics. Einstein's twin paradox, a new interpretation. Dana Scully's senior thesis. Now, that's a credential. Rewriting Einstein. Did you bother to read it? I did. I liked it. It's just that amongst my work, the laws of physics rarely seem to apply. Thanks to Julian Anderson for talking with us. You can find links and more information about Fish Love on our website, nerdatpodcast.com. Cocktails before homework? Sort of. Some listeners may remember a couple of weeks ago when we had the author of the cookbook True Brews, Emma Christensen, on, and Megan Murphy-Gill, who's one of our contributors and a food and beverage nerd, joined us for that conversation. Well, afterwards, she was inspired to try out the homemade soda recipe. She decided to make a -a one-of-a-kind nerdette soda for us using the master recipe found in the True Brews cookbook with her own twists added to it. To make the Nerdette soda, which is an apple mint soda, apple because Trisha is from Michigan and made me think of Michigan apples, and mint because Greta is from Alaska and I thought it would add cool freshness to the soda, you'll need apple juice, which you can either press yourself or do what I did, which is buy fresh pressed apple juice. You'll need to make a simple syrup with sugar and water, fresh mint, And you need lemon juice, pinch of salt, and a little champagne yeast. You can also use regular baker's yeast. But Emma said in her cookbook that champagne yeast is better because it doesn't have any of that yeasty flavor. You'll also need to have handy a fine mesh strainer, a funnel, two one-liter bottles, if you'd like to share part of your soda, a blender, and a saucepan for making the simple syrup. The first thing you're going to do is make a simple syrup by combining sugar and water and dissolving the sugar in the saucepan on the stove. You'll combine that with the apple juice, a squeeze of fresh lemon juice, usually from about one lemon, and about a quarter to half a cup of fresh mint. You'll puree all this in a blender, then you'll strain the mixture. It's like a science project. Pouring me either a potion. It does look like something Harry Potter would be told to drink. Yeah, because it does look kind of swampy right now. (laughs) Funnel it into your bottle or bottles. Add your champagne yeast, seal up the bottles, and leave out at room temperature for about 12 to 48 hours until the bottle becomes kind of rock hard. Then you move it to the fridge when it's done and drink within two weeks. And that's the Nerdette Soda. It's so fizzy. The ginger ale was not this fizzy. All right, now we had to taste it. Cheers. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's even minty. It is minty. I like it. You know what this would be good with? Bourbon. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah. It's not too sweet. Yeah. It's like a cider. Yeah, it's like a sparkling cider. 
with a finish of mint. Yeah, it hits you just at the very end. Not bad. So that's almost a cocktail. Almost a cocktail, yes. It was a non-alcoholic, cidery-tasting beverage, which was delicious. And when we brought it on WBEZ's afternoon shift to give Nyla Boodoo a taste, we added a little something to it. So this tastes almost cocktail-like. I think maybe you should add a little of the bourbon that's in that cup next to you then and see how so it works. This, is, this cup is bourbon. Yep. All of this is bourbon? Yep, just so just okay, pour so a just little. pour some in. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is clearly all bourbon. I just smelled it. All right. So how much should I put in? Just as much as you would like, Niall. How's your Wednesday going? Oh, okay. <laughs> you can find a link to that whole interview and to our most recent afternoon shift appearance where we give our picks for the best toys in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics on our website, nerdappodcast.com. All right. Homework time, nerds. What you got, Greta? Well, I would like for all of you to go read Word Freak by Stefan Fatsis. This is a great book. It came out about 10 years ago. He's written a new foreword since then. And it's on Kindle now, too. And it's wonderful. It's all about the competitive world of Scrabble, which we've talked about a little bit on the show. And we will continue to talk about later because I have fallen head over heels with this whole competitive Scrabble thing. I think it's fascinating on several different levels. And so does Stefan. We talked to him a little bit. And here's what he had to say. I was entranced by the idea that there were thousands of words that you didn't use in your daily life, but that could be liberated by playing this game. I love the idea of trying to conquer the unconquerable, the vast expanse of the English language. And I was pretty good at it pretty quickly. Um, And it's just one of those things that gets inside you and it becomes an addiction. I was single at the time. I'd go home from my day job at the Wall Street Journal and I would sit on the floor and play solitaire Scrabble. This was always also pre-internet, pre-Scrabble apps, you know, pre-Facebook. And I would play against myself and I would study the two-letter words and then the three-letter words and then the four-letter words and seven-letter words during my 20-minute subway ride every morning to work. So this was words with no friends. This is words with no friends, yes. Some of you may recognize the name Stefan Fatsis. He's on All Things Considered on Friday afternoons. He talks about sports and the business of sports with Robert Siegel. And he's also on Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen. And he's a big nerd, turns out. There's plenty more nerding out about Scrabble with Stefan Fatsis on an upcoming episode of Nerdette. And before we go, a little extra homework from Jillian Anderson. I have a 19-year-old who is on her gap year right now, and she's about to go and do a whole bunch of traveling. And, you know, from the minute she started planning, I started with my suggestions of what kind of volunteer work she could do and orphanages and blah, 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 blah. And finally, she said to me, Mom, you know, if I'm going to do that, it's going to be because I want to do it. I decide to do it, not because you told me to, you know. And so up until that point, a lot of her travel involved beaches and surfing and all that kind of stuff. And then so I let go for a period of time and didn't bring it up again. And and it turns out in the process, she's looking into orphanages and various ways that she can volunteer and be of service and mix it up with the beaches while she's away. But it's one of those things where it's something that kind of comes to you at some point. I think if you're a young person, a young woman, it's at some point along the way, if you're paying attention, something will rub you the wrong way and alert you to 
to the fact that maybe there's uh, it needs your voice there in some way, whether it's participating in something or or doing a marathon or raising money for a particular cause or signing a petition or doing something. But it's always good to keep one's eye open for what that might be. And there were so many good causes, so to speak, out there. And you know, I've been asked to be involved in many, many, many things over the years. What I found is that it's important to have that hook, to have that emotional attachment to it. If you're going to be speaking about it or putting your time and energy into it, really needs to be something that you believe in, that there are other things that other people will believe in, and there's enough to go around. And it's about finding the ones that you can become impassioned about so you can properly put your time and attention into it. Thanks to Julian Anderson for talking with us and for that awesome homework. You can catch her on the NBC drama Hannibal. And to Megan Murphy-Gill for making the Nerdette Soda. And to the cast and crew of McSith in Chicago for an evening of nerdy fun on stage. Thanks to WBEZ's Joe Dassault for engineering help and to WCQS as always. Thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Throw us some stars if you're feeling generous. BJ Lederman did not compose our theme. You heard the tracks Feeding Pigeons and New Old Toys by Pottington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.